invite you to join me in the book of Philippians. We're back in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. and says that all Scripture, every single passage of Scripture, has something for us, either for us to believe or to do or to stop doing or to prevent you from doing. All Scripture has value for us personally in how we live and think. All Scripture is profitable. But not all Scripture commands us in the exact same way. Now, uh, a perfect example of it is the last four weeks we've been in the book of Matthew and over the course of four sermons, we covered 75 verses. We did so because in the book of Matthew, it was a narrative. It, it was telling a story. So not every verse had a command. Now, the last four weeks we spent in Philippians, we only went through five verses. So uh, as we were in that portion of Philippians, especially the, the first nine verses of Philippians chapter 4, uh, we've been in what we would call an epistolatory mode. We're looking at the letter of Paul, and he is giving direct commands. In fact, out of those first uh, verses, verses 1 through 9, eight of them have direct commands for us to obey. Eight of them. In 75 verses in Matthew, there was not a single one, right? Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't things for us to learn. In fact, we pulled out quite a bit in those narrative passages, uh, just telling all you this, just to pull back, uh, pull back the veil a little bit and, and see why is it that sometimes we go through a lot of verses and sometimes we only get through half a verse. That's why. Because Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for growing us into the godly person that God wants us. Uh, but some passages do so by telling a story. Other passages just flat out tell us what to do. Uh, as we continue in Philippians, we're in Philippians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 10. As the, the book is now closing, Paul is switching back to a little more uh, telling a story, telling about how uh, life is rather than uh, giving a command in each breath almost. Uh, and so we are going to take a few more verses as we uh, continue in Philippians so I invite you to follow along and read with me this morning. We're in Philippians chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 10. Our big idea this morning is that those who trust in Jesus are fully satisfied in Jesus. So I trust that you'll see that as we go through the passage together. Those who trust Jesus are fully satisfied in him. Please read along with me. Verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
You pray with me. Lord, we need to understand that every aspect of our lives is coordinated by your sovereign, eternal knowledge and direction. Your word says that not even a sparrow falls without your direction. And certainly, nothing comes our way without you bringing it to pass. So, Father, I trust that you would use these few verses this morning to break the hard soil of our hearts that, uh, that for some of us, we, we really believe that we, have, uh, that, that we have these goals in life that are super important that, that you've been keeping from us, and we get frustrated. We're, we're just not satisfied. Whether that's goals of, of health or wealth or status or family or whatever it is, Father, there are things that, that our hearts desire that you have withheld. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize from the example of Paul's own life how he testifies in these verses that, that you're enough. Whether we have much or whether we have little, you are all we need. Father, open our hearts, guide my thoughts and words. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever found yourself being misunderstood? Actually, let me rephrase that. Remember a time when you were misunderstood? Right? Because we all, all are misunderstood from time to time. Uh, most often, had we explained ourselves in that situation, or, or better explained ourselves in that situation, we could have avoided the misunderstanding completely. Uh, sometimes these misunderstandings occur because we believe that the other party has a, a full understanding of certain details that, that we just don't think to explain, and so there's a misunderstanding that occurs. Uh, I've got an example of this. There was a pastor who wrote a book for his church. I'm not volunteering to do this, okay? He wrote a book for his church. It was a, a large church, and so this afforded him a financial base to actually publish it so he could make this book available to his church members. But what happened was beyond what he ever thought would. Uh, it spread beyond just his church. So he, he got a publisher, again, a large church, got a publisher to, to print this book for his own church family to, to use as a Bible study, just a devotional study. A and within the first four years, it had sold 18 million copies. His church was not that big, by the way. And he just, it just was flabbergasting how many people bought this book. Despite its early immense success, many evangelical Christian leaders criticized this book uh, for a variety of reasons, but for one primary reason. This book, which they would concede was quite useful for Christian living, neglected to share the gospel so that one could become a Christian and therefore live like one. Seems like a pretty big point, right? And so the author explained, well, I, I wrote this for believers. 
it didn't cross my mind to include the gospel in it because this was for my church. It was for believers who were already in that mode of life and just needed this this study. And, and if you know what book I'm talking about, that's fine. I haven't mentioned the title because there are better books to recommend about Christian living. Um, all this to say, know your audience. This pastor knew who his intended audience was, but didn't recognize that it was going to go much farther and therefore had to endure some criticism because of that. Paul knew his audience as he wrote to the believers in Philippi. He knew them because he helped start that church. He knew them well. In fact, you could make the same criticism of the book of Philippians that many people made of this Bible study book that I just mentioned. Because in the book of Philippians, there is not a clear presentation of the gospel, is there? It was written to believers. It was written to believers who specifically had the gospel already. And it's implied in many ways because he knew that their people knew. But he also knew that in the time that he had been gone, uh, that there would be new people in the church that did not understand his heart as well as some of those original members of the church that he had interacted with personally. So in today's passage, uh, Paul has some, some comments that kind of seem a little bit awkward, but it's because he understands his audience has been changing. And so that's, that's helpful, and we'll get to that when we get to verse 11. But look at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul is careful to explain now in verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul is careful, very careful to explain he's not looking for a handout. He's not looking for uh, for monetary help from the church in, at Philippi. Now, many of the people who were at that church when Paul was there would already have known this. They didn't need to have that reminder. That was for the others who had come into his audience. How would they know that Paul was not asking for financial support? Well, because during all of Paul's ministry, he never took a salary. When when churches would send money with Paul, that all went to the, the new church plant that he was working on. He didn't actually take money himself. He was a tent maker. In fact, there are mission agencies and missionaries that, that would call themselves tent makers. They go to a mission field, get a job, work, work enough to support themselves in that new place, and then while they're there, also minister. So the upside is, they're not going around to churches for support. The downside is that they're not going around to churches for support, right? Because they're not building up that base of prayer support. So I'm not suggesting that this is uh, the way that one must do missions, but this is how Paul did it, and this is how some others have done it. Now, Paul had a specific situation in life. He was single. He could do a whole lot more that way and not completely wear himself out. That's neither here nor there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 13, 1 Corinthians 9, 13 through 15, he explains to the church there uh, about his financial situation. He says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? He's reminding the church of what the Old Testament layout was for the priests, how they were 
uh, how they were taken care of. Verse 14, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul was quite proud of the fact that he was able to use every bit of support that churches have given Paul to pass it on to the other churches rather than to support his own personal needs. So in today's passage in Philippians chapter 4, this concern was not because of a financial need. Paul was not asking for finances. He was not telling him that he was needy financially. He was saying he was needing in fellowship. Remember back to chapter 3, Paul spoke of Timothy and Epaphroditus who had come from Philippi to visit him, to be with him, to assist him in his imprisonment. So the Philippians had been a help to him in the past. That's what he's talking about here in today's verses. Sending people, helping him in, in various ways, and had, they had been a true answer to his prayer. So Paul says that he's content with the provision that God has given through these providers, the providers of the Philippians. You know, you might be the answer to someone's prayer. And it might be an answer to their prayer just because you talk to them or you sent them a little text message or email through the week or you said an encouraging word in passing you might be the answer to someone's prayer because of their need of fellowship as Paul needed he was content with the providers that God had given him in verse 12 we see that he was content with the provision that God had given him he says I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance at me and need. What's this secret? Well, it's trusting Jesus, right? Isn't that the context here? The context isn't, uh, I, I know how to go through lean times because when times were well, I tucked enough away. Now, he's not saying don't save money, okay? But what he's saying is his trust is not in how he handled his finances. His trust, his confidence, his satisfaction is in trusting Jesus. Those who trust Jesus are fully satisfied in Jesus, and Paul is living that out. Paul has given his life to serving Jesus. And in serving Jesus, sometimes life is hard. It was for him. Sometimes his life... Uh, consisted of not having comfort in any way. And other times, life was easy. As he writes this letter, he is experiencing one of those hard times. He's severely restricted, in fact. Remember from Philippians chapter 1. I know that was a while ago. In Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, he talks about how he was imprisoned. While it's true he was probably under house arrest and had uh, some freedoms, uh, such as welcoming Timothy and Epaphroditus to be with him. Uh, they could bring him supplies. He wasn't uh, necessarily thrown into a dungeon at this point in his imprisonment. He was nonetheless being guarded, and his freedoms were being withheld. Yet how much did, does he complain about his status in life? None. The weather changes into a 
mode that we don't like and we complain. In fact, Paul calls his imprisonment not a drudgery or a complaint. He calls it a blessing. Not because it's a blessing to be restricted, but because God was using that restriction to further the gospel. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Do you remember looking at that? So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He saw his imprisonment as a blessing, not because being restricted is being, a, is being blessed, but because he could use it to further the gospel of Christ. He was perfectly con- content, whether he was well off or needy. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Why? Because God is the one who provides. He's the one who may provide way more than the average for you. Or he may provide way less. But regardless of where you are, it's God's provision. Paul's point here is whatever God provides is the right amount. Do you have a place to sleep at night? God provided it. Do you have food to eat? God provided. Do you have clothing? God provided. And whatever God has provided is the right amount for what he wants you to do with your life right now. It's true. We need stuff to live. We must not live for stuff. And and he's going to actually build on that point in next week's message. Uh, But stuff does not satisfy. It doesn't. There are plenty of very, very wealthy people who can afford every luxury and convenience in life who are not satisfied, right? Because stuff doesn't satisfy. God does. And the Bible is consistent on this particular theme. David understood it. Here's a psalm of David. Psalm 17, 15 says this, "'As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness.'" When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. And that's how he ends the psalm. Earlier in that same psalm, that's Psalm 17, earlier in the previous verses, David asked God to rescue him. And, and What I find fascinating is he's, at least the verse I'm referencing, he doesn't say rescue me from poverty. Don't rescue, he's not saying rescue me from evil workers, at least not in this psalm. In just the, the, fir- the verse or two before that, he says, Rescue me from men of the world whose portion is in this world, who have plenty and leave plenty to their offspring. Doesn't that kind of sound like the American dream that he's asking to be rescued from? Isn't that what it sounds like? To have plenty and to be able to leave plenty to your children, to your descendants. Isn't that what we strive for? And David says, rescue me from those people. Why? Because his satisfaction isn't in his possessions, it's in his God. So this theme of being satisfied in God is 
not something that Paul has invented by any stretch. It's all throughout Scripture. Then we come to verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul was content with those who provided for him as God used the the Philippian believers to provide for him. uh, Paul was content with the provision that God had given, the amount that God had given. And thirdly, Paul was content to keep on going, to persist, to continue to serve him whether or not he had freedoms, whether or not he had possessions. He was content to serve God. So this verse is a verse that pretty much everyone knows or at least has heard before. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is commonly cited verse presents a conundrum for the church. It's a real struggle. Because this verse is wonderfully concise and it, it, it declares a statement of trusting God in such a beautiful and brief way. But on the other hand, this verse gets used in some very suspect ways when you compare it to the actual context of the passage. What is Paul saying? He's saying, I can do everything that God wants me through the provision that he gives me. I am content. That's what he's saying in verse 13. I'm satisfied in Christ. I can do everything he wants with what he gives me. But how do people use this verse? Athletes will mark up their face with grease that says 413. Oh, I'm going to win this competition because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some have even tattooed Philippians 4.13 on their arms. And when the camera gets a close-up shot, people start talking about the Bible, and that's a good thing, right? But when Paul wrote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, he had zero intention of applying this to achievement. Right? He didn't say, pray for me because I'm in prison now, and I believe he's going to set me free. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If, if that were the context of this verse, then you could use this verse as uh, some rallying cry for some achievement that you're trying to gain. But that's not at all what Paul is doing. He's not giving us permission to use this verse to win a soccer game or run faster or whatever achievement we're trying to do. Paul wrote this relying on God specifically for his contentment, not for his achievements. He literally says, I'm content when I experience loss just as much as I'm content when I experience gain. Right? How many athletes are just as content losing as they are winning? Right? I mean, that's just not how we think. Now, there are probably some people who perpetually root for teams that always lose, and maybe they are satisfied. (laughs) I mean, it's probably going to be another century before the Cubs win another World Series. I don't know. It doesn't stop people from being their fans. It's possible 
that a fan of a perpetually losing team who thinks, yeah, by God's strength, I can survive another losing season. But that's really not how people misuse this verse. They misuse it by believing that God is going to help them succeed. When God's plan may be completely different than our view of success. By doing all things... As he says in verse 13, I can do all things. By doing all things, Paul means that whatever outcome God intends in any aspect of his life, Paul is going to trust God. Can we say that? We all have lots of things going on in our lives. If they all fail, will we continue to be satisfied in Christ? Or do we find our satisfaction only in the victories in life? Those who trust Jesus are fully satisfied in Jesus. So are you? Am I? Are you content with the situation in life that God has placed you? In this congregation, we have a wide variety of life situations. We have those who are financially struggling and those who are well off. We have those who are married with kids and those who are married but were never able to have children. We have those who have never been married, those who are widowed, those who are divorced. We have those who love their job, and we have those who hate their job. We have some who are fit as a fiddle and very healthy, and those who are struggling with minds and bodies that are failing them. Whatever situation you're in, are you satisfied in Jesus alone? If you trust in Jesus for your eternal salvation, if you trust in Jesus for your eternity, can you not trust him for your here and now? For your circumstances? This, this level of satisfaction is truly a, a mark of, of Christian maturity what it means to grow in Christ. We, we don't start out that way. It's only attainable by those who are believers in Jesus. So, my friend, if you're sitting here and you're trusting in your own works for salvation, then this message is going to go over your head. Believe in him, the one who carried your sin on the cross. Um, I'm I'm not always a fan of the Sunday after Easter. As we're leading up to Easter, excitement grows, and we generally have a larger crowd on Easter Sunday. And so the Sunday after is like, uh. but no, the Christian life is, is not the, characterized by only the high points. It's characterized by ongoing faithfulness, trusting in it, excuse me, trusting in him over every circumstance, throughout every day, the good days and the bad days. And sometimes it may only be bad days, right? We can go long stretches of everything being against us. Will you trust Jesus in those days? If you're struggling to trust Jesus, to be fully satisfied in him, you're struggling to trust Jesus for your salvation, please talk to me. After the service, whatever plans I have this afternoon, they can all be put on hold. Talk to Pastor Dan. Talk to someone you trust who knows the word of God. 
because you can trust him for your salvation and for your eternity, but you can also trust him for your day in, day out. Good days, bad days, high points, low points. And that's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul as he sort of indirectly in telling the story of his own life, gives us these commands, these, these examples to follow in how we really shouldn't care how much we have or don't have. And Father, that's difficult for us to do. We very, very easily covet things and status we very, very easily are disappointed when we lose. And we're so quick and easier, easy, eager to grab the glory when we have a victory or a win. Lord, help us to find our satisfaction in you. Help us to love our Savior more than we love the things of this earth. Father, we ask that you would grow us because, Lord, these concepts are not the norm for us. I pray that you would grow us to be more like our Savior who, who emptied himself of, of everything, leaving the throne of glory to come to earth to suffer in humanity, to suffer for humanity by taking our sin at the cross of Jesus. Help us to live like he lived. Not caring what other people think of us, but just being obedient to you, living for you each and every day. So Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to develop habits and patterns of faithfulness that will help us to continue to grow little by little as we endeavor to please our Savior. Thank you for meeting with us this morning. Thank you for your word and its convicting power in our lives. In Jesus' name.